0: From the southernmost point of dawn to the lands of always winter and what is west of Westeros and those shadows in the east. This is Castley Talk, and I'm Cat here for season four of Game of Thrones. That's right, the Game of Thrones rewatch is now gonna kick up into high gear because we have turned that chapter. The Red Wedding is behind us. The pages have been flipped, and we're here for the all-new Game of Thrones. The- the new cast, the new generation, kind of, sort of, sort of, ha- having fun here with all of you as, uh, I'm just excited to talk about uh, this episode and season four. As always, part of what we're doing here is uh, looking back on this wonderful world and finding the themes and the lessons that are present in these episodes, find out what they mean, What what is this particular episode trying to say to us, and how does it connect with Game of Thrones, um... In the larger sense, we're also uh, make references to Song of Ice and Fire, Fire and Blood, a lot of other things, of course, but mostly it's just me and this beard right here. If you're watching on YouTube, but if you're listening, oh, you hear me? Maybe can hear, hear. Oh, I got my my Davos after the war beard is uh, is coming in nicely. This is the thing with beards. It's like that great old uh, kids in the hall sketch with Kevin McDonald, who he grows a vacation beard and it takes over his life. That's what beards do. Sometimes you just. You're just you you powerless against the idea of trimming or shaving. Uh, it, it's a wild beard today. It's a Game of Thrones beard. It's a season four Game of Thrones beard. So excited to talk about this uh, episode. Two sorts. Original air date, April 6, 2014. Wow. Now we're getting into this. We're getting closer to the times in which we live. But, man, it still seems so long ago, yet yesterday. Where I was for this season, I have a little bit more memories where I was for uh, the big showdown a little bit later on in season four between uh, the Mountain and the Red Viper. I remember right where I was, hotel room in Vegas. We'll talk about that. But we are talking about uh, Two Swords. Uh, original air date again, April 6, 2014. Director D.B. Weiss credited. Uh, Benioff and Weiss kind of co direct because of uh, union rules. Only one could get the full credit. D.B. Weiss takes uh, takes the short end of the s- uh, stick here, I guess. D- drew the, the short s- uh, straw. Uh, writers are Benioff and Weiss uh, leading charge on that. Cinematographer Jonathan Freeman, editor Katie Weiland back editing here. Uh, such a good editor on this show. I mean, I, uh, there's very few points where I'd ever say Game of Thrones was badly edited or shot. And and yes, in season eight, there's some controversial um, night shoots. I get that, but even then, I think it was shot beautiful. It just yeah, it depends on your TV. I always say season uh, season eight. I was very fortunate. I don't mess with. My, I don't. I'm not a tech person. I don't. My TV comes as is. I just have to be on the right settings. I guess. Um, but I know other people that weren't. But anyways, uh, we're still four seasons away from that, Ken. Uh, let's, let's concentrate on what we got right here. This is uh, the beginning of this important season. A season that I generally have a, a, a real positive memory of, right? A lot of big things happen. The show, uh, as we talked about when we looked at uh, the end of season three, it, it, it's a turning to the page. A lot of the cast members and characters we've been familiar with, spent a lot of time with. Uh, you know, nice way to put it, no longer with us. Uh, we are, uh, I think, expanding the story in a lot of ways. Enter Dorne, and yes, we're going to have some disappointments with Dorne uh, storylines a little bit later on. Uh, disappointments that I uh, carry as well, being a book reader um, as well, Oh, that, that book reader term. But also for me, uh, this is the season, looking back as I try to go through my own journey with Game of Thrones, and hopefully you can connect uh, with the one that you have on yourself there Um This was the first season where I, uh, quote-unquote, knew everything that was happening. I uh, had been doing the show, book, show, book, kind of uh, getting into the whole story there. And and, and I, I, going into season three, knew that seasons three and four were kind of split, uh, covering uh, different portions of uh, Storm of Swords. So I thought, "Eh, you know what, I'll... I'll, uh, I hold back, and uh, after season three, and then after season three, I was like, "Nuts to that!" I'm going ahead. Uh, I'm reading, uh, reading ahead, and and uh, I think by season four, I may have uh, finished uh, all five books by that time. Maybe that part I don't remember. That part doesn't really uh, doesn't really matter. Now I feel like a an old man talking about the weather and traffic. How did you get here? How was the weather, Dad? So um, what we love doing here on Castle Talk, and by the way, if you're watching on YouTube, I do have the Streamlabs link up. This is not a live show. Uh, If you want to help support the show and just kind of have a a question or any kind of support through Streamlabs, uh, they're open. They're not necessary. I appreciate uh, considering helping out this channel as it grows. Um, But uh, I'm here to uh, just talk with you all and, and, and continue diving in deep into this wonderful world. Let's focus directly on two swords, which I consider, and I I am not an expert. I'm a student of Game of Thrones, is what I always say. I consider this one of the most compelling and well-put-together Episode 1s. Episode 1s are always going to be a challenge. We talk about this. We've talked about this in detail three times now. Pilot has a different duty. The reworked pilot that we all saw did its job, clearly, because the show's still kicking after uh, the pilot, that version of the pilot. Season 2. Season three, uh, pieces on the on the playing board is what we always say. Uh, season two expands the show greatly. Stannis arrives, a lot of new threats. Season three does a uh, that opening does a great job. It is a good opener. Uh, I love the stuff with Mans Raiders. You all know, it does a great job of really setting the goals forward. It. But it's still, I remember, I remember at the time watching season three episode one, going, eh, okay. And that's kind of the general view of all episode ones. Eh, okay, we love the show so much, let's get to it. But then you come to season four. And I don't think it's a hot take, but just saying it, it's, it's just one of the best for me. It does what it needs to do. Here's where everyone's at. Here's some of the new players. We got some big, big new players, bold, vibrant new players on the scene. Mostly just Oberon Martel, but he fills the void uh, very well, fills the room indeed. And Alaria Sand as well. Dear Varma, so great in this role, especially this season. But man. It does more than just put the pieces out on the uh, playing board for me. The the just the, the the connections that we got going on, new connections, new characters, connections to what is coming, uh, and uh, really the connections to what was and moving past that, and the the setup. And there's big high stakes intention already present in a lot of things going on here. Uh, it isn't so much a summary. Season three, episode episode one has some summary parts. So hey, I remember the Battle of Blackwater. Blackwater, we're dealing with that. We're, uh, you know, it's it's more strongly connected because again, seasons one, two, and three, I really feel the first kind of arc of the show. Seasons four, five, and six are kind of the next arc. So we're ramping things up, and I just really feel uh, a lot of the the scenes here are, are don't feel like episode one scenes to me. So let's start diving in. And also, by the way, uh, you know, we, we'll dive into the themes uh, that are present, The the what this show is, uh, this particular episode is trying to communicate. I think one of the things is trying to communicate is like, hey, what are you right now? Uh, who were you? Who are you now? And where do you want to go? Because that's what the show is doing at this point. You spent three seasons with us you had a different view of the show your perspective was you know starks at the center of it uh danny off doing her thing and now we're getting to a different spot and now we're leading to different things uh and and this season begins with tywin lannister we'll talk about it more but tywin lannister wordlessly no dialogue burning down ice and and turning it into uh uh the the two valyrian steel swords that of course uh yeah would as well and uh, oathkeeper that is um He's going to pass on to his uh, his family. He thinks it's all about legacy. And Tywin's got the victory. But that's what we knew. And now we're moving forward. And this episode ends with Arya, her sword needle. It's back in play. Tywin thinks he's destroyed all the swords, the ancestral swords at House Stark, but there is definitely one still out there. We are on to a new part of the show. And I think this episode does all that and puts it all together. Six. Point six four million watched it on first viewing. A replay added another 2 million uh, to that. Highest numbers, not just for the series, highest numbers for HBO since the Sopranos finale. Don't stop believing. Uh, And that's just a reminder of, you know, I know where uh, uh, GOT goes in the public zeitgeist. I know what happens if you're at a party and you say uh, something about Game of Thrones or specifically, uh, you know, season seven or eight. I know the conversations you will probably be forced to have. But this is a reminder of where G.O.T. stood in the zeitgeist at this point in 2014. It was on top of the food chain. And, uh, you know, hey, I guess you could say once you reach the top there, uh, there's only uh, so much higher you can go. The rest is downhill. But uh, we'll get to seasons seven and eight when uh, uh, it's time to do that. But just in terms of numbers, this has uh, a, a, an important legacy. This particular episode and season four as well. The show is firing on all Cylinders. What is this episode known for? I think more than anything, this is, uh, you know, the introduction of Obrin Pedro Pascal uh, comes uh, almost out of nowhere. Yeah, he's had a ton of acting credits before this, but he's, boom, gone. I-, I won't say who, I do have a friend who knew him during this time. Actually, I was friends with him. And, and they talk, uh, I've-, I've heard some stories of, it just, it changed everything and changed it overnight. This episode just changed everything overnight. Uh, and uh, Bob reports uh, Pedro, good dude, that deserves every amount of success. And I cannot think there's so many actors in Game of Thrones who just knock it out of the park. So many who are built for their roles. And uh, you 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 don't you don't like ranking things, but I I, I don't know if there's you know Lena Headey, she's built for Cersei Lannister. Uh, uh, you know I think Amelia uh, Clark's uh, ends up becoming you know the right choice for Daenerys Targaryen, and so on, so on down the line. I think Mark Addy is. Robert Brathian's one of the best casting. Stephen Delane. <laughs> Grumpy old Stephen Delane. Great casting choice as my man Stannis. But I just don't think anyone is more just perfectly cast and, and fit for the role than uh, Pedro Pascal is open to Martel. And we're going to start off uh, with this. Here's uh, Here's this. I don't know if this is a hot take. I don't know. I don't know what's a hot take anymore. I don't like hot takes. I don't believe in hot takes. I believe in nuance and uh, thoughtfulness and insight. But I also will say this. I do believe Obermartel is better on the show than the books. There you go. If this was 2014, maybe my uh, channel would be destroyed. I don't know. There's not much of, uh, you know, Talk is still growing anyways, so it's easy to destroy us now. Um, but uh, we are growing. Like, a, like a, you know, like we're House, house Tyrell. The seat no, no, All right, never mind. I really do think. Go with me here. Storm of Swords is my favorite of the uh, Song of Ice and Fire books so far. And it's just it's it, chapter after chapter is just a, a just a, a pulse pounding read. It, it, it is amazing. Throw any fancy critic words at it. It is what it is. Storm of Swords, I think, is the best of the best. And Oberyn is a big part of that. Oberyn is there. Oberyn is present. But I, when I closed that book and was now heading into season four, I got to tell you, I knew what happened. I, I was excited to see him. But Oberyn was just in the back. He was one of many things I was excited Uh it Did not dominate that book for me. And a lot of that is how you take it in and how you read. Uh, uh, George R. R. Martin's books are, are dense and, and maybe you're concentrating on other parts of his story and the, the myriad characters out there for you to choose from. And I, I think for me personally, I just, uh, Oberyn was there. I liked him. I was intrigued by House Martell, intrigued by stuff from Dorne. But he was just one of, uh, one of many. But not here on the show. The show, different medium. The show's got to concentrate on different things. It's got to put... Uh, Uh, different parts of these characters uh, and their personalities out there for us to take in. And here comes Pedro Pascal. And he just, I I don't want to say, it's not that he took a role and made it better. He just really brought open to life in a way that he wasn't in the books for me. So uh, that sets us all all up for a lot of pain. Uh, We'll get to that. Uh, So this episode's known for that and that great opening scene. We will talk about that. I think it is um, definitely known for... uh, What Tywin does to the swords, but more importantly, what happens on the back end of the episode with Arya Stark coming on back as well. Throw in some stuff about that. That's part of this episode's legacy. The other stuff is a lot of setup. There's some great scenes, uh, full attention. But again, if you spend more time with the scenes, I think they go beyond just, A, it's a setup type of situation. Uh, I think there's some great stuff at play. But I think these are the big things. Oberyn, his great introduction, and this episode ends with, Arya and the Hound getting the getting the chicken and, and the horses that they want. Uh, and we'll get to that. Arya Stark, the Avatar for Stark Vengeance. Love looking at uh, what this particular episode did to the story itself, the impact it has. Uh, I do, uh, one of the first ones I listed, um, and I try not to go in just simple um, order, scene by scene there, but uh, I got to tell you, Arya emerging following the trauma that she's gone through all three seasons of it, particularly the stuff at the end with Red Red Wedding, particularly the stuff uh, seeing uh, Rob uh, and his um, you know body there at the end, and, and what she does to the uh, um, fray man at the around the campfire. She's traumatized. We're all traumatized, but she's emerging, and it's a different aria. It is a deadly aria, and uh, we're rooting for the violence. We're there for the violence. Uh, it's just that part of Arya's journey, and she'll she'll move on and 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 he- head towards season eight, where she ends up, uh, and and walks away from this life uh, of vengeance that she's uh, currently living in right now. But we need, and we're rooting for, her. we're excited for this. As I said before, it is is I kind of view her as this avatar avatar for Stark vengeance. I think D B Weiss refers to her in a similar capacity of. Um, she is what's left for us. You got Bran doing his brand thing. We don't spend time with Bran here. John is, a, you know, John even by his own admission, bastard son. He's not House Stark, but we consider him that at, at this point in the show, and I think into the end too. He's Stark to the end in a lot of ways. But uh, you know, he um, he's kind of on his own thing. He's in his own thing. Uh, Arya, Arya becomes House Stark for a lot of us, uh, and uh, we're rooting for her here and. I think this uh, is a big impact on the story going forward. Where Ari is, and I think it, it, how, the, how it impacts the story and how it impacts us as an audience is also part of this segment. Um, I think we we we've had these doubts about the Hound from the beginning, and we also have had these moments where we think we like the Hound. We don't want to root for him, especially season one, but then we start to all the things start to happen by him running away, battle Blackwater, season three, captured by the Brotherhood. All, yeah, but we like you know we don't like him, but we like him. I think this is the episode. I think the part of this episode's legacy is we are now rooting for the Hound. He talks about a man's got to have a code. Arya, you, you killed the butcher's boy, but you won't steal from a, from a rich man. Everyone's got to have a code. Uh, so we're starting to understand a little bit more. The Hound, and, and again, when he uh, runs into Paliver and the other Lannister men, and the end result of that, but just all along the way, the dialogue, the the the, the quips. The, uh, the the calls for chicken, I think we're now we're now there's no question at least in my mind there's no question. I really love the hound. and and I'm oddly rooting for this brutal man. And start to you know the journey that Arya starts going on. It really you know and has been on. It really kicks up. She's really now starting to um, learn about survival, learning what she needs to do. Power into her own hands, all those kind of things. And she's got a ways to go with that journey. But uh, all this starts to build up to this impossible task. And this is, of course, as we know, show only. But later on, when we get this showdown between Brienne of Tarth, Brienne of Tarth and, and The Hound, this wonderful fantasy booking, if you're thinking about, about wrestling, that's not present in the books. By the time you get to that, this is this is Brienne. We, we, are, we love Brienne. We're rooting for Brienne. We're rooting for her vows. We're rooting for her trying to get to get to Sanson. She, she's even got Podrick with her. We like Podrick. And in that showdown, I don't want the Hound to defeat her at all. But when Hound starts telling her that stuff later on about basically as a paraphrase, like, I'm the one protecting Arya. That's not you don't understand how to do that. We kind of we're on the Hound side. We, I, it, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting spot to be in as a fan at this point in the show. And particularly if you're, the, if you're a book reader, too. Brienne is so great in books, too, uh, as is the Hound. But, man, when we build to that, I think it really does go back to these moments with him chugging Polliver's beer and demanding those chickens and wiping everyone out with the help of Arya, of course. It all kind of begins here. Big impact, uh, big impact for uh, Danny and John as they get their new goals. I think their new goals really start to emerge. And if you start tracking the show through those eyes, which is probably where my focus goes the most on this on this rewatch, I, I, I'll say that's where my focus is, is really uh, at is is tracking Danny and John because now we're looking through the the microscope and the lens. Of having completed all eight seasons and knowing where the show takes those characters. And again, you you probably have some disagreements with some of the choices. You might like it completely. I I love it. But one of the reasons I love it is is I'm going back and tracking their journeys. Tracking where we're at. Danny, we've been talking about it. Season three. I need an army. If I'm going to take Westeros, take it back, take what is mine. Really... Uh, slide into that position of power I feel is mine. I need an army. I get an army. I get it through uh, 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 my own choice of uh, violence, uh, yelling, your cars. But then she decides outside of Yunkai to use that power to help others. It's really cl- uh, clear now. She's already done that. We've already seen that in action, even going back to season one with Mary Man's Duel, all that kind of stuff. Kind of gets her in a little trouble, right? But it, it, it makes her who she is, and she's got that heart. She's got that, I've got a position of power. I'm going to try to use it. But I think outside of Yunkai is when she really decides to use it. But now here she is. We see her with new Dario alert. Uh, Michelle Hussman comes in as Dario. And I, I I, think in the end for me, I understand the casting seemed at the time bland, especially if you're a book Dario fan and you want the purple beards and didn't. you want them to be completely exotic. He kind of looked like a lot of folks in Westeros. I've always agreed with that. And Ed Screen had a different look at least. But I think this is just a better performer and a better actor. And at the end of the day, he is more than an effective Dario for me. And I love the way he plays. He is a brutal man. He is a survivor in this world. But a lot of inter- his interactions with Danny. And the reason she does find that connection is he he's being pretty honest. And he sees her for what she is. And he's got not just great advice like, hey, the, the little queen needs the advice. It, it's not that. I just think he really sees her for who she is reflects back on her, what she kind of already knows about herself, but he's also there just to actually, he's actually there in her corner. And Jorah's in her corner. My man Jorah's in her corner, but, you know, Jorah's got a little spotty history already with Danny that uh, will soon be revealed uh, by the time season five rolls around. So we're here, and uh, Danny gets some new goals. This, this—you've got to uh, learn the land if you're going to rule the people on it. Uh, and this becomes, for better or worse—and I don't mean that from an outside the show criticism—but I think for Danny as a character, she's going to be learning some powerful and painful lessons in Marine. We know where that goes. It's—it's uh, it's not. It's not uh, going to be a, a walk in the park. And so far, it has been for Danny. Oh, oh, there's been challenges, and bad things continue to happen to Danny, and the, the world treats her a certain way, which is a lot of, uh, I think, the lesson in 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 Danny's story. One of the lessons for us as an audience is how this world treats her. How these people treat her as a woman in power is part of what's there in the story, for me at least. Um, but now this is her new goals. She's going to learn the land she wants to go... Uh, Rescue. She wants to go uh, break the chains, but uh, she's got to learn the difference between, uh, she, like Tywin would say, winning and ruling, though Tywin might have a different explanation of uh, that. Uh, so I love what we got going on here with Danny's goals kind of being set, and, and they'll become more clear and emerge for her. And then I, I really like where we're at with John. John's learned a lot, uh, he's uh, painful lessons, heartbreaking lessons. He still believes in his home, and his heart, that his home is uh, where the Night's Watch is and, and the, the home is the Seven Kingdoms. But his, uh, his experiences north of the Wall uh, have changed him forever. Um, but he knows there's a bigger threat. He knows there's this looming uh, threat of uh, both the, the White Walkers, which he has seen up front in person, but also Mance Raider. And it's interesting that he gets back home He's home, and and they kind of, you know, the powers that be, we got uh, a lot of these characters returning. They don't necessarily uh, consider this John's home. Um, And John has uh, uh, this new goal to uh, look outside. His vows are broken, and he's going to look outside his own walls and and really— not get caught up in the trivial nature of what vows uh, he broke, but the overall vow he keeps. I am a protector of the realm, the realm, and Mance at this point is a threat to the realm. I think this will start to change. It's already in John's heart. He says it here: free folk, not wilding. That part has changed. Um, he's he's been with them. He's he's. Broke bread with him. He lay a, a wildling a woman, free folk woman. Um, he has changed, and, and I think his new goal um, is starting to take him, this is goal of Defending the Realm, capital R almost, is going to take him outside um, Outside that, that this, this thing he feels home, which is uh, up to now was the Night's Watch and, and uh, the Seven Kingdoms of which he was a part of, and is a part of, wants to include all, everyone in this. But John and Danny are just starting out their journeys. Another impact on the story, and this is fun uh, to uh, really uh, to go back to 2014 when you kind of really first heard this. And again, we always—I uh, know it's probably annoying for people listen regularly, uh, but I you know concentrate on show first, and not necessarily Song of Ice and Fire and the books and everything. So you may have known and been uh, you know a little more clued into this. But if you're um if you're a not even a casual viewer, but if you're a dedicated viewer of Game of Thrones in 2014. This season opens up and you have probably a certain view of Robert's rebellion and Robert Baratheon and the story that you have been told. It's the story that a lot of the Stark children have been repeating and a lot of people in the land uh, talk about. Now, you may be like me and be walking around with your R plus L equals J shirt, kind of a wink and a smug wink and a nod at times to those who know these theories and know maybe more of the truth. But I got to tell you, as someone who does own an R plus L equals J shirt and wore it uh, almost weekly, uh, I did wash it, but it wore it almost weekly back during this era. I can tell you a lot of people, a lot of Game of Thrones fans weren't clued into it because they're show only. And they don't do what I do. They don't do what you do and go pick up a map or go pick up a book or just go uh, read a uh, Wiki of Ice and Fire or check out a George R. R. Martin interview or listen to Alt Shift X or listen to History of Westeros. They're just watching the show. And they know the show and they love the show. They might even be able to compete in a trivia question uh, contest about the show. But this episode is the first time someone stands up in front of all of us. It's Oberyn Tyrion and he is, to me, the first to solidly state what is essentially, as we learn, not even essentially, it's the truth, that Rhaegar left his sister, Elia, for another woman, that being leanna Stark. Until now, we know the story. Rhaegar kidnapped, raped, and then probably left uh, leanna Stark for dead. We know none of this truth, And it's brutal, and it's disgusting, and it's designed... Uh, to uh, make you hate Rhaegar Targaryen and be happy for Robert and his rebellion. Uh, the turning at Hall, the great history there, uh, and on the off chance that you're watching this, uh, po- this show or listening to this podcast and you haven't uh, taken a deep dive in the turning at, at Hall through a, a wiki or something like that, do it, because it's great stuff. I know we're not going to get a Roberts Rebellion spinoff show, but I've always thought, hey, could you just give me a like tourney of Hall movie, like a two hour just retelling of that story. I put it on HBO Max. I'd be happy. Uh, know all the results doesn't matter. I just, just, I want to see it. I just want to see it. It's great stuff. And Rhaegar and the Winter Rose. It's, uh, it's uh, the 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 Rose that launched a war, quite frankly. And we've, Heard Robert's version, even Ned's version of it, though Ned is obviously keeping a lot of it back. Uh, and We heard more importantly, think what his kids believe all through this, and what the the legends being treated as as, as fact, even in season six, the stuff with Sir Arthur Dane and Howland Reed and Brand, uh, Brand seeing the truth about that. Um, it's interesting to to dig into that kind of stuff. Uh, but this again, Oberyn is the first just to be like, "Nope, Rhaegar was married to my sister." That was what the arrangement was. That was what the marriage was. She had these two kids. And Rhaegar left her. Oh, wonderful Rhaegar Targaryen left Ilaria. Excuse me, Elia. Don't confuse us. A lot of e's and L's. He left her. Hey, he cheated on her. And went to, went to Lyanna Stark. And a whole war started. And the result of that is my sister, Elia Martell, and her two children brutally murdered at the hands of the mountain on orders from Tywin Lannister. Oberyn is saying this, and until then, we've got some wink and nods from maybe Varys or Baelish or other people, and it's easy to say, oh, well, that's just their view. Truth is what you make of it. Obi-Wan Kenobi tells us, uh, you know, a certain point of view. Everything, the true, very truth you cling to, you depend greatly on a certain point of view. Our certain point of view? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obi-Wan's, you know, Obi-Wan's knowledge, uh, his, his, uh, his advice, uh, his, his belief to perspectives uh, applies to this too, right? That's, that's been the first three seasons. But here's Oberyn. And immediately we like something about him. Immediately we kind of we feel uh, there's something about this character. Again, if you're not super familiar with the books, go to that position. And here he is just directly saying everything that you've been told on this show about your, your good buddy Robert and his good pal Ned, we like those characters. Uh, there's a big lie attached to it, and I'm here for that. And I think that that more than anything is this episode's uh, impact on the story and us. Uh, that's the big one for me. Talked about the new Dario, which is, uh, impacts uh, us as an audience in a way. Uh, we also returned in full to Castle Black. Uh, you know, I got my—I always have my Night's Watch cap on. Uh, and I like it. I felt, uh, you know, John feels he's going home. I understand it because I felt like I was going home. I love uh, the Castle Black stuff in season one. And I love Owen Teal as Sir Alistair Thorne. I just, you know, I think he's good. And it's a crusty character. I don't root for him, but he's got some um, hard truths, he says. And Game of Thrones has a lot of uh, characters that deliver those hard truths that maybe you don't want to hear, but you need to. And I think he's got some for John. Uh, but, you know, he's a flawed character indeed. Uh, Dominic Carter returns as Janice Slint Definitely not ruin, ruin, uh, rooting for uh, Janice Slint But it's just uh, good to go back to those characters These kind of like season one, season two characters And go back to the wall And spend time at Castle Black uh, It just kind of, as the show And maybe it's because the show does kind of change Not dramatically, but it does goes through a lot of changes And we got new characters And we got new storylines Jamie Landish has got a new haircut It just kind of felt good, felt comforting To go back to Castle Black So I understand with that uh, we love uh, tracking things with foreshadowing and more meaning. So let's look uh, at that right now here on Casterly Talk. All right, big sip of water. Um, don't um, don't have a Chipotle burrito full with extra salt before you do a podcast. You'll find yourself real thirsty. And when you're talking by yourself, uh, not a lot of uh, break points for uh, water. A uh, little lesson from your old friend, Kenny foreshadowing things with more meaning. Love going back and looking at these uh, little points in these episodes that just might just eh, mean a little more uh, to us, might tug on your heartstrings a little bit more, or uh, are, are hints of are things to come both in the season and in the show. Uh, these are just kind of fun and also important. Season four, if I my memory serves, season four seemed to have a lot of in-season foreshadowing, right? There's the one point later on where, where Baelish just basically lists Three deaths that are going to happen. If I if I recall, we'll get to it uh, when we get to it. I know he definitely predicts the, uh, you know, again not directly predicting Tywin's death, but basically says, hey, here's 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 ways people can die, and it's all the ways in the show. And and, and it's it, it, this season that stands out more than any other season. I actually enjoy that stuff, um, which is why I love doing this. Why. Game of Thrones is one of those shows throughout its, its history just rewards you for the rewatch. And I'm still shocked. I still find people going, oh, yeah, I love Game of Thrones. I'm thinking of rewatching it. And I'm like, oh, cool. When was the last rewatch you did? And they're like, no, I've never really rewatched it go back go back and if you're watching if you're listening I'm sure you've rewatched it several times but I'm having so much fun this time around Forecasterly talk going back and really digging into some of these little things that um, just mean more And season 4's got a ton but more importantly episode 1's got uh Tywin once again losing the support of his children slowly surely we we've got these big moments with Tyrion and Cersei particular in season uh, particularly in season 3 where we talked about a lot at the end of season three. Tywin's goal is to protect the family name, the family name, the family name. It's the dynasty. It's, we've got to protect It's really the last name, right? And he's not keeping Tyrion and Cersei in the fold. They're, they're slowly starting to grow just absolutely tired of it. And we know that what's going to happen. Well, now Jamie's back. Fresh haircut, as I said. And he's kind of ready to pick up the pieces and keep going. And and, and Tywin has different plans. Tywin wants to send them back to Castle Rock. And Jamie says no, and and Tywin is is uh, it's a it's a good strategy. It's 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 what I would do if I was Tywin in this position. But now it's Jamie. It's the one who's probably maybe been the most loyal. I know Cersei would say I've been the most loyal and I've paid attention the most. But I, I think um, it, it's hard to, to not acknowledge that Jamie might have been the, the, the one that uh, Tywin had the most uh, affinity for. I, I, I fall short of saying love, because I don't know uh, what Tywin loves other than his own uh, last name and uh, winning brutally at war. But he's, he loses Jamie here, starts to lose him here. And that, that, that has a lot more meaning, especially as the show goes on. Yes, Tyrion, we know, is going to take him out. But how does Tyrion take him out? How does he even get that chance? It's Jamie siding with his brother over his father, and it's conversations like this that I think start to make that possible. Sansa, of course, gets uh, the necklace, which has been really fun uh, to, to uh, throughout uh, the, the show's run to go back and rediscover. Uh, as someone who uh, was watching The Purple Wedding and did not know uh, the ins and outs, uh, this was a great uh, detective mystery for me, and I love that it's... Um, you know, out in the open, not in the sense of I don't think you watch just this scene with uh, uh, Ser Dantos uh, uh, and, uh, and uh, Sansa and the Godswood. I, I don't think you immediately pick up on it if you're uh, not aware uh, of what's going to happen. But looking back, there it is all along the way, all along the way. Shay and Tyrion continue their fallout. Uh, that's going to have some ramifications. And Shay saying, my lion to Tyrion, that's her first a real big line of the scene. She's got some stuff, of course, before Sansa, but that's her first real big, bold line, my lion, boom, we know later on. Uh, that is the, uh, the the words she'll say when she thinks Tywin has returned to his chambers, and Tyrion is there. That has a lot more meaning now. And then Bernadette, Bernadette. She's there, spying, she gets the scoop. She gets the scoop. That means everything. That's a lot of just things things with more meaning that just means a ton to what season 4 is going to be. Uh it's not subtle. I think we get it, but it's there. Um I love uh the uh, Brienne and, and uh, Marjorie Tyrell have a brief moment together. I do love Brienne after all these you know, all these years. We're now in season 4 and season 2 is where Marjorie and um Brand is where we meet them and where the death of Renly. And here's and here's Brand like yeah yeah no 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 I've had a, I've had quite a couple of years. Anyways, uh, it was the ghost of it was the demon ghost child of Stannis with his face. He did it. I swear it. And one day I will avenge her king. That's her line to Marjorie. One day I will avenge our king And Sadly, uh, well, but justly for me being a Stannis fan, she does fulfill that promise. So this moment has a lot more meaning. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit more about Jamie's empty pages. Uh, but that is a direct correlation to uh, the very, very end of the show, uh, which was a moment that got me, made me cry, and uh, this one kind of sets that up. So there you go. Uh, there's a lot of scenes I want to talk about here. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to get held up, but there's a lot of fun. This, by the way, this episode is also really funny. Uh, even Joffrey's got a great line when they're in that. Um, we, Trant and uh, Jamie, are going over plans for the wedding and uh, and. Joffrey has a line, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll guard the thing or whatever. I just, I just love that line. Um, a lot of comedy. Bron is, um, Bron is very funny and quite quippy through all of this. And Bron, is, you know, and talking about show Bron, Bron is uh, is 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 truly a character with no plot home. Right after season one or two, and really in truth, after season one, he he he. You have to weave him in because Jerome Flynn is so good, and I. I I think sometimes they don't know what to do with him. I, I particularly think season eight, unfortunately, Braun doesn't work as much for me in terms of just where he fits in the story. But that's also because he's definitely after book one, you know, he's just kind of this, he's there. He's he's not uh, as involved as much and Stokesworth and all that kind of the subplot going on there, but um, he's so good. and And he is to me another character that's, Better on the show than he is in the books because Jerome Jerome, Jerome Flynn just absolutely brings him out. So I, I don't I don't disagree with anyone who would criticize. Hey, they don't know what to do with Braun, and after this uh, Braun just really has nowhere to go. I, I don't I don't think that's that's a, that's a bad way to look at it. Um, but I just won't bemoan that. I just won't bemoan the show keeping him around. He's too good. And I'll keep him around for even moments where they meet Oberyn Martell and Oberyn's like, "Let's get some girls." And he, and Bronn's nodding yes, and Tyrion's shaking his head no. Little moments like that with Bronn, I'll keep him around to the end of time for me. And I love it. He has that line. I'd probably go to sleep, but I'm getting old. Uh, I love uh, the way he plays all that there. Uh, Tyrion's got some funny line. Prayer can can be helpful. I hear when talking uh, with. Sansa, and then Kyburn, who I love, Kyburn, as we know, Anton Lesser, Kyburn, Jamie, and Cersei in the hand. Now, uh, Jamie's getting his hand. It's an important scene, right? It's, it's a big moment. He gets the hand. He's Cersei's clearly not happy. You you feel you get to get to a little bit no more of the connection with Kyburn, but it's a funny scene. Uh, her talking about yeah we you know they worked for hours uh, days and days on it and you know, Jamie questions that she's hey, well, the better part of the afternoon the whole conversation about Picel. I won't let Picel near me. He smells like a dead cat. Jamie says, I I don't know what a dead cat smells like. She says, ah, they smell like Picel. Really funny stuff. And then Jamie's hand wave (laughs) when Kybrin says goodbye. Uh, Love everything about the scene. It's a little comedy sketch with some serious stuff going on. Uh, There's that as well. But let's get into some of these uh, big scenes, um, what they mean, and how they start tying into the themes and lessons. If you will, I'll jump a little bit ahead to the themes and lessons, and we'll come back uh, for this particular episode. Sometimes I mess around with the format here. Hope y'all don't mind. It's just one man in his home Star Wars studio, and uh, trying to find the themes and lessons that emerge from this episode. I, this is where I was pulled to, and sometimes uh, you know it's kind of where the mood strikes in terms of themes. I mentioned a little bit of top. What you were, who you were, versus kind of where you are going and who you will be now, because there's also the the introduction of Laurie Sand is is you have the great stuff with um what's his name Oliver there saying uh, you know calling her lady oh I'm not a lady says Laurie Sand uh, goes into hey this is this is who I am I am I am a bastard you're a, you know, she's a whore you're a procure procure like this is who we are and it's really echoed. Uh, it's an echo of season one, episode one with Tyrion, Jon, wear, wear what you are on your chest and it can't hurt you. Uh, and Game of Thrones it brings it up a lot. It's just it's kind of this th- that category of hard truths. So there's uh, a lot about this episode of, hey, know who you are. There's even the Ober Martell has the line uh, to um, the Lannister soldiers in, in Littlefinger's uh, brothel. Can I tell you a secret? You're not a lion just a pink little man who's too slow in the draw. It's a, there's a lot of hey here's who you actually are versus what me maybe what you think you are and let's play the right roles here. But that folds nicely or at least uh, you know tries to fold nicely into what I think is this idea of again uh, what or who you uh, were versus where you were going. And that starts to emerge again. This is the show to me itself going you you you've known what we are for 3 seasons. But a lot of that is starting to change as we go forward. We've got to go forward with our story. We've got to take it to where we need it to go because of the story we feel we're telling on the show. And a lot of the characters you were rooting for, a lot of the characters you thought were going to win are gone. We have We know what we, what, what we are and what we were, and we know where we're going. That's at play. Play a lot for me in this, in this episode uh, here. And you go into Jamie's identity. He talks about it uh, in, this, in this great scene with his father. Uh, Kingslayer, Oathbreaker, uh, um, all these things, uh, hear what they say, uh, and he doesn't want to go back to Casterly Rock because he's a man who loves his sister. He's really only confirmed that and confessed that to Brienne. Um, So he defies his father because of that. He is and was in many ways a Lannister, but... He's all these other things, and people have all these other thoughts, but he knows who he is, so because of that, he's going to try to have that take him forward. And And the future is wide open, as wide open as those pages that Joffrey points out are pretty empty in the big old book of the Kingsguard there. Uh, Jamie's uh, life and future and how he goes forward and who he is going forward is wide open, even though he feels it's a certain path that's there. Danny, Daenerys Targaryen, is... A ruler. She's a conqueror. Daria is going to say that a little bit later to her in the show. But she's a ruler that needs to learn to rule. She hasn't had a chance to actually really do that. What were you and what are you going to be? She's going through that transition. John, the Night's Watchman, who is no longer really accepted or believed by these men he's made uh, these vows with. And like I said up top, his vows now extend outside these walls. And this season, there's a lot of him trying to, we've got to defend, the the, the this wall's going to come down, the, the free folk are going to come here 100,000 strong, so it still kind of maybe comes across as us versus them, but for John, it's this, to me, the switch into, again, for the realm, the whole realm, um, and where he ends up going, where we need to get, you know, the free folk need to be, Behind the wall, just as much as us, they have just as much as the right to that kind of safety. John's not quite there yet, but this view of John as a just pure of heart, night's watchman, these vows he took, that's who he was. It's not necessarily where he is going. He's in a point of transition. Uh, I think that kind of stuff is present all the way through it. Uh, Little things uh, as well at play in these episodes uh, going, tying into who you are, and and trying to own who you are uh, and that might guide you going forward there's that little moment the introduction of Danny in this episode is the dragons now bigger uh Drogon sitting on mom's lap and and uh you know uh the, the they the the dragons fight over the the shoot up charred goat and, and Drogon of course is is, uh, is very angry nearly uh, attacks his mom as an owner of chihuahuas i've seen this happen and uh, uh, Jorah's got the uh, the great line here: "They're dragons, Khaleesi. They can never be tamed, even by their mother. That's what they are. You have to own what they are, and maybe you can go forward uh, in a better way." And this, you know, where we we're, we're going to hear this, we're going to hear this in season seven. Olenna Tyrell is going to stare at Danny and say, "You're a dragon. Be a dragon." So I think that's a lot of what Danny and, and again the show, but what Danny's going on going on in this uh, in this season. Who are you? I'm a dragon. And how do you go forward with that? Can a dragon be a ruler? Can a dragon be tamed? Can a dragon do the taming? All these questions are at play, and uh, I love that. Uh, Brienne has that moment too uh, when she uh, meets Aletta Tyrell. The Queen of Thorns is so great with you. Oh my God, aren't you marvelous? absolutely singular we have spent two full seasons listening to brand be mocked uh taunted dismissed disparaged called all the names in the books uh, uh called an ugly woman uh, all these horrible, things, all the way through and here she sees elena tyrell and elena tyrell tells her this is who you are you're absolutely marvelous absolutely singular how are you going to go forward with that I love that even for Brianne. Um, All right, individual scenes there. There's some just amazing stuff at playing these episodes. And I want to go into our question and t- uh, tweet section. Eric Monroe, chime back in. Again, you want to get a question into the show, all you need to do is uh, go to uh, Twitter and follow me at Ken Napsack and use the hashtag Casterly Talk uh, there on the bottom of the screen if you're watching here along on YouTube uh eric says this foreshadowing this episode with joffrey mocking jamie's page being so empty as we now know brianne changes that in the series finale i actually like to read that book i would too joffrey also brings the sword of the morning who will go uh, get to see in season six that's correct uh mentions uh, Ser Duncan the tall i love when the show uh acknowledges that lore that lore is present in the show right Every sigil, every bit of armor—the show is dealing and playing around with this lore. But uh, it is fun when you get those kind of things. And then you can be—you know—if you're—if you've read the Dunkin' Egg series, you can be the know-it-all in the room at the Game of Thrones party with people. To, oh, you don't. Oh, you don't know. You don't know if Sir Duncan at all. Oh, let me tell. Try to tell you, but not tell. you. I uh, love that stuff there. So, Eric, great stuff there. Yeah, let's concentrate on some of that stuff there, uh, particularly with Jamie. Again, I talked about uh, there's this theme. The theme of of who you are and, and who you're going to be and how you're going to make it move all forward there. I uh, absolutely enjoy uh, uh, Jamie being confronted with this, this, this open path uh, that is uh, there for him. And um, I love the little scene. There's the follow-up scene. Uh, Sansa, right before she uh, interacts with Ser Dantos, she's out there, and, and Jamie and Brienne are watching uh, watching her. And I really love that in that particular scene, um, Brienne, that absolutely singular Bran, who uh, has these oaths, and oaths are very valuable to her, and we know she's going to keep her oaths as best she can to the end of all things. I love that Brienne is challenging Jamie, who's like, "Yep, there she is, Sansa. I know I made that oath to Catelyn. Uh, I know that I kind of made that oath to you. Bring her, bring her to safety." Well, Arya's probably dead. Arya's probably dead. And there's Jamie. You know, uh, excuse me. There's Sansa, and you know what? She's Sansa Lannister, and she seems pretty safe. So there you go. But I love that Bran pushes back on him. I love that Brienne is, in, in keeping with this, what this episode's communicating, is saying, you made an oath. And to me, this is related to this blank pages. It's not, she is not, at this time, she's not aware and uh, of the blank pages in, in, in the book, but is is aware of, of him, knows him, knows who he is deep down, a man who loves his sister, a man who felt he, he did his best to save the kingdom uh, and was uh, marked a kingslayer for it. And an oath, oath breaker. And she's saying, No, you've made this oath. Keep it. Go forward. That's the story to tell. It's a, it's a key point for Jamie. And, you know, the tragedy of Jamie is some of the stuff doesn't stick. But I think uh, uh, the bittersweet nature of it all, the bittersweet underlying uh, factor to the story of Jamie and Brienne is she is, as Eric points out, she is the one that fills out those pages for Jamie. And she knows what all the things. She, he did, and there's some things along the way he's already done for her, and that's what she's saying. She, I know who you are. You're trying to break this oath now. I get it, but I don't think that's who you really are. And once you know who you really are and know who you were, you can move forward with it. Um, both in maybe uh, getting the confidence, being called absolutely singular is probably some confidence for Brianne, but also going, Hey, this is things you've done and, and own that. So you can go forward in a better way. And I think that's part of Jamie's story at the blank pages start to get filled. Uh, already again, stuff has been there, but and that's, that's what she's saying here. There's Sansa. You made a vow. Keep that vow. Keep that oath. It's what you need to do going forward. Um, and don't let fear uh, uh, drive you. Cersei's being driven by fear. Some of it justified over time, but uh, you know, in this episode, she's she's so upset at Jamie. and it's it's not fair. It's not fair to Jamie. You didn't come back. You left me. She's so afraid of being alone, and that's going to drive her. And and uh, and she can only fill that void through uh, violence and vengeance and. And I think Cersei, in the end, with everyone out, everyone leaving her, her children dead and gone, her, her brother no longer at her side. Again, they'll, they'll go through as he goes to Dorne and all the stuff, and, and Jamie ends up, and Jamie eventually, of course, leaves her, as we know. Um, season 7 stuff. Tywin's gone. Everyone's gone. And that was Cersei's fear that drives her. So she tries to stuff that void, fill that void with the kingdom. And that's the one thing she felt would make all that pain go away, keep her protected, keep her safe. And it's literally the thing that comes crumbling down on her. But Jamie's there, the only one she really wanted around. Um, not, ch- not counting her children, of course. I love that's kind of uh, some of the stuff at play here in this episode. Uh, other uh, great scene. Uh, I do love, I actually do love the Thens and Steer uh, showing up. Good uh Good Russian performer playing uh Steer. I I being of Russian nature. Yuri uh Kolnikov, excuse me. Kolokon Yuri uh is Steer. I think he is spectacular. I love the thens. No, Torment's got the great line. Thun thens. I fucking hate thens. Um it's uh I, you know, I just uh we, we we it's almost as if the show is saying, look. We know by this point you probably—you definitely like Egret, and you're rooting for her and John to get together, and you probably like Torment. Don't worry. They're all still a threat. This horrible monster, Steer of the Thens, uh, the the Magnar of the Thens, has shown up, and uh, they're not nice. They're eating crows, and it's disgusting. Uh, so I actually love that scene the music in it is really good Uh, the tension like I said this is a season uh, 4 episode 1 episode and episode 1 has to do all these uh, just kind of almost boring functions and this is a functional scene to catch up with these characters but this new threat adds a lot of tension to it and now also the tension within the ranks and uh, I just love it I love a little spice there Uh, and that All right, so In closing here, uh, I want to get to two big scenes that I absolutely uh, do love. Uh, And we start, of course, um, with the Tywin burning the two swords, but we immediately kind of go to uh, 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 Tyrion and Bronn and Podrick waiting for uh, what they feel will be uh, Prince Duran. He, of course, doesn't show up. Uh, Instead, uh, Prince Oberyn is already here, and he's a wild card. Uh, This is a spectacular... Intro to a character. Again, a lot of great scenes. A lot of great scenes introducing new characters to us. I don't think any, any of those scenes um, have the impact like this scene. It is unhinged. Uh, slightly, uh, there's an edge and a danger to Oberon. There's a sexuality to open uh, In a show that... Um, Freely, freely throws uh nudity and sex around um like it's going out of style and already at this point has a reputation for sex position and all this. I, I think there's something really effective not just titillating about uh this uh, uh you know open uh, relationship they enjoy and what's going on here um uh, you can stop there on that scene and just think it's some titillation I think it's so much more it is just introducing Everything you thought you knew about the show before is 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 different now with Oberyn Martell around. Um, he is, uh, in a way my my view of him is he's the world of of Game of Thrones. So, uh, you know, uh, every, Essos, Westeros, uh, uh, all all Summer Isles, d- name him. He represents all of it because he's so traveled. Right, he's been around the world. He he is the world of GOT. Uh, come to the doorstep of those in power. There's uh, a lot of power all over the world, this we know, but I think a lot of it still is centered at, at, at King's Landing. And if uh, those in King's Landing got upset at Slaver's Bay, they would do something about it. If they got upset at Bravo's, they would do something about it. Would they always be successful? I don't know. Uh, I'm not saying that, but I think there's uh, King's Landing is, in a lot of ways, the power of this world. And here he is, the world of GOT, come to challenge those in power. And he has this great purpose. We learned so much about him, from you know the hand over the flame and and uh, the co- cool, sexy confidence of Pedro Pascal, um, him speaking his truths and just saying here's the, here's what actually is, um, and 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 he has great purpose, and I think in contrast to what we open up this episode with, with Tywin and the two swords, Tywin is a bad guy, I think we see immediately Oberyn as a good guy. You know, we, we like Tyrion. We're not rooting against Tyrion, but we are kind of still rooting against Lannisters. And here he is just going after Lannisters. And here he is stating this. And and uh, we, we like him just as much as Tyrion knows he can't be trusted. Tyrion is uh, trying to connect with him, trying to calm him down. We're Hey, we're second sons. We see things the same way. I wasn't there, as he gives him uh, the story. It's, by the way, exposition, of course, some of the hardest thing to deliver in uh, any kind of uh, book, movie, television show. It's the boring stuff. Uh, you know, um, you hear Dune. I haven't had a chance to see Dune yet, but, you know, hey, it's got to gotta, gotta get a. It does a lot of world building, which means exposition that can be boring. Um, it's tough to do. Or it becomes, you know, I love The Phantom Menace, but one of my favorite Star Wars uh, jokes is, uh, is the Naboo pilot, Rick Olier. Literally every line he says is, is exposition. And it's funny, uh, but I think it works to a degree. But here's Obermartel. Just give, just dumping this uh, bunch of uh, exposition on us here. And it's just delivered in the best way possible. It's such a great scene. It's such a great scene. But what is it telling us? What is it telling us? Even go to the, uh, the stuff in the brothel. You know, again it's Game of Thrones titillation. Here's three women. Uh, we're going to choose one to, uh, for, from my paramour here. Uh, she's got the, the lady and you know what, Oliver, you stick around. I, I'm going to take you. Uh, here it is. And it, it, it does such a good job of saying that conversation with Oliver of him, just like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not on the market here. I'm not for sale. The hell you aren't. I'm, I'm a prince. You ever been with a prince? um, and when Oliver kind of uh, uh, consents to this action that's going to happen and it has that line of, like, which way do you like it, Oberyn says quite directly, my way. Now, it's a great little moment, right? Again, it's, it's Game of Thrones uh, playing around with some brothel fun. It means everything to what Oberyn is. He wants it my way. He's here for this great purpose. He's given us this information as an audience. You thought Robert and even Ned were the good guys. But what happened out of that rebellion was disgusting and hurt my family directly. So who are the good guys? Because I'll tell you, I think I am. And I'm here to prove that. Tyrion, tell your father that I'm here. And the Lannisters aren't the only ones to pay their debts, right? Now that's, I'm jumping ahead to the scene. But let's go back a little bit to, as he tells Oliver, my way. And hey, it's going to be a big old sex party happening here. Elaria uh, and uh, and uh, Oberyn are in town. Uh, ring the bells. It's going to be wild, crazy, sexy fun. But before that happens, because that's what Oberyn wants Right then and there. He wants some entertainment. He hears the uh, Lannister soldiers singing Rains of Castamere. And he is distracted. He's distracted by his blind passion. You see Ellaria Sand react to that. Trying to pull, No, 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 Oberyn, open And this is a guy who gets what he wants. So what he wants is to kill Lannisters. He wants dead Lannisters. And that's going to cost him. And that's part of the lesson of Oberyn Martell. I love looking at what these characters represent and what they're telling us. That's why I keep going on and on about why do I love Stannis? It's telling you about uh, a blind pursuit of something that costs you everything, that, uh, who you are, costs you yourself, costs you your soul. That's a lot of Stannis stuff. And we're tracking this stuff with Danny. We're tracking this stuff with John. But here comes Oberyn for this greatest, it's the greatest like one season of a character ever. And we're rooting for him, and we want him. But built in the story right from the start is him going, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a reason. I get what I want, and what I want is my way. Boom. But I'm immediately distracted by my blind passion of vengeance. It works out here. Boom. Great stabbing of the uh, dagger in the wrist. It's a great scene. But then he has that conversation with Tyrion. That's where we get a lot of the information about Rhaegar. That's where we get his purpose, and that's where he is like, hey, I'm in town to do this. In this, But he can lose himself if he's not focused. If he doesn't uh, give up a little bit more of himself for the bigger picture here, uh, his passion could, as we know, will cost him. And uh, what does it say to you? What's the lesson there for us? That's the stuff uh, I love digging into with these, uh, these properties. Star Wars, Game of Thrones, whatever. I love finding the things in these stories that are questions for us. But uh, we'll get to that a little bit later on. Oberyn's journey has officially begun. final thing I want to talk about here is this episode is, of course, called Two Swords. Um, it's not very subtle what that means. Yes, we got two swords being made from one in the beginning. Uh, Tywin uh, is, uh, is here to uh, complete, uh, complete the destruction of House Stark. But that's not the two swords. I mean, it's yeah, there's two swords. But the second sword in this episode, I think you got ice being destroyed. Uh, and then, of course, we are going to Arya a Needle. It's a tiny little needle of a sword, but the flame of the Starks is alive. And uh, like I said, it's not subtle. Um, D.B. Weiss talks about it. He says this, uh, and Benioff gave it, hey, we wanted to start the season this way. We wanted to be no dialogue, just everything on screen for you to take in. The pictures and the music tell the story here. And it's it, it's a, it's a great cold open, uh, and this is uh, DB Weiss describes this as um, uh, it's 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 a show of power from Taiwan, not just in this timeline in in the world that he lives in, but it's a show of power for the history books for Taiwan. I uh, I defeated House Stark, I wiped it clean, and then I took their ancestral sword, this giant oversized. Needlessly large sword, ice. And I melted it down into two swords for my family. The history books will remember that. Uh, Weiss calls it a rational decision for Tywin and, and the correct move in a way. And the way it plays is, is uh, the bad guy won. The bad guy won here. The Lannister music is playing. The flames are going. Uh, and, and it's all reflecting on Tywin's, Tywin's smug face. He thinks he's won. This season begins with Tywin thinking, I have won. And this season's going to end with Tywin literally losing everything. And one of the reasons why? Well, there's two reasons, a lot of reasons, but we've seen immediately the the, the the scene with Jamie. He's starting to lose the support of those around him. He's starting to, uh, the act of defending the last name and not connecting with the first names is going to cost him. But he thinks he is destroyed, House Stark. He thinks he has won. But at the end of this episode, Arya reconnects with Needle. Uh, whereas Tywin feels his legacy is being secured. His end is near, and here is Arya reuniting with a sword that Tywin can't even fathom existing. He's so up literally in his tower. He's so up uh, uh, just stuck in his own legacy and what he has done. He just doesn't even have time to worry. that Maybe that, uh, that girl out there who we don't know if she's uh, alive or dead, the girl that was his cupbearer, In season two, some of the best episodes or best moments of the show, of course, she's out there. She's got the sword, and even though she doesn't necessarily isn't the one that takes out Tywin, and her journey uh, takes her a lot of different places, and there's a lot of things that uh, will factor into the final uh, season of Game of Thrones. It is this thematic uh, reminder, uh, uh, just big and bold. I said not subtle. the The Starks live on. The story lives on. And Arya is this avatar for Stark Vengeance, but she's not the only one around. Sansa's still alive. Her flames will still burn. She'll get there eventually. Jon Snow's still alive. He will get there eventually. Bran Stark, still alive. He'll get there eventually. Tywin has not won. Tywin has not won. The bad guys think they've won. But there's still some good in Game of Thrones. And that is, I think, what this episode is also trying to uh, communicate, tell us, and maybe, hopefully, as we go into a new chapter, A new era of the show, season four, five, and six. Maybe give us a little bit of comfort, but I don't know. What do you think? That is my look at season four, episode one. Ah, yes. From there, we are going to be looking at the lion and the rose. Oh boy, this is um, this is a big one. We're not waiting. Season four doesn't waste any time. Does not waste any time. We're going to go to Joffrey's wedding, and we're going to see a little bit more of what that means. All right, that is it for now. Thanks for listening and watching Casterly Talk. If you're listening on the podcast, please continue to do that. Please subscribe on Apple, wherever you listen. Leave a comment, star us, whatever you got to do. Uh, we are continuing to um, uh, move this show forward and uh, and uh, get ready for House of the Dragon, but also have fun right now going back. But also don't forget to uh, get, over, get over to YouTube. Subscribe to Casterly Talk on YouTube. Uh, subscribe, ring the bell, leave a nice comment. Do all those things that help YouTube channels grow and get bigger. Uh, we are going to keep taking this channel forward as we look again towards Casterly Talk. Excuse me, House of the Dragon. This is Casterly Talk. Sometimes I just say too many words. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time here on Casterly Talk. Talk.